Welcome to the Curiously Guided Podcast, the show for intentional business owners and curious minds looking to combine the inner work and outer work to create a life, business, and career that feels deeply fulfilling and wildly aligned on all levels. We're your hosts. I'm Shay. And I'm Mariah. We're two business strategists passionate about rewriting the rules to success in a way that combines both strategy and energetics. So this podcast started with both of us being in the online business world, craving more deep, meaningful, and transparent conversations. So we decided to come together and create a space to do just that. Our guest interviews highlight cool humans doing cool shit, chasing their dreams, and going down their own rabbit holes to create a more sustainable and fulfilling life in whatever way that means for them. We see this podcast as everything that people won't share on social media. We don't give a fuck about highlight reels or proven frameworks. We love getting in the weeds, asking the tough questions, and doing the work to create a life and career we love, all while committing to ourselves and our personal growth. Because only through that lens can we truly create a lifestyle that feels good from the inside out. Welcome to the Curiously Guided Podcast. Are you ready to trust the nudge and let curiosity guide the way? Because we're excited to shake shit up and live outside the box with you. Okay, friends, welcome back to the podcast. We have a very special gift of an episode for you today. We're bringing on Dr. Anu French, who's an integrative pediatrician, musician, artist, poet, all kinds of beautiful things. Um, Anu is a client of mine and a friend of mine um, from the past. I've dreamed of having her on the podcast for quite some time, honestly, since we started it. This episode was, Mariah and I got off like, wound up. We were so like nourished and uh, encouraged. Uh, Anu is just, I'll share with you when we introduce her a little bit later. She's a very inspiring woman. The medical practice that she's built is um, a wonderful example of someone who just wanted to see something in the world and figured out how to make it happen despite a whole big system working against her. So we'll start in this episode kind of talking about the medical practice that she's built and then also just how she's been able to keep up with a really demanding job for a long time by building her own resilience. So the cool part about this episode, it almost makes a really beautiful part two to an episode that we launched a few weeks ago about stress. And we talked about with Dr. Gala the toxic effects that stress can have on the body. And so this episode with Anu almost turned into, okay, so what do we do about that? And Anu really talks about how we build resilience as human beings and kind of fill our own cup so we can then go fill other people's cups in this crazy, stressful world that we're living in. So she is the best example of someone who is walking their talk that I have ever met in my life. And I'm so excited to share this episode with you guys. Damn, you took the words right out of my mouth. I was literally like, she is such a great example of somebody that's walking the walk. Like she's in the medical field and it's like you hear from doctors, it's like reduce stress and just like do this to, you know, maybe you shouldn't work as much, but then these doctors are like working their asses off. And then you hear about Anu's schedule and just like what she does to just be able to unwind and come back to herself and her body and just like 
It's so cool to see examples of people fucking doing the thing in all different industries. And I feel like a lot of the guests on the podcast that we have are like business owners in the entrepreneurial space. But this conversation brings in a whole different dynamic of just like a whole different system that we're all involved in, but maybe don't have very much experience in. And I just... I feel like I could listen to Anu talk literally all day long, like the stories that she says and just like the way that she words things. It's like you can fucking tell that she's a poet and I could just listen to her examples literally forever. Like in the episode, I'm like, I don't even want to ask you any questions, dude, because like I just want you to keep talking to me forever. So you guys are going to absolutely love this episode. It's got so many different gems it's got so many different perspective shifts. It truly is probably one of my favorite episodes of the season. So I'm going to read her bio and then we're going to get into it. Dr. French, an artist, musician, yogini, author, and integrative pediatrician, is a fellow of the American Academy of Pediatrics, double board certified in pediatrics and integrative medicine, with fellowship training in integrative medicine and integrative psychiatry, with special interest in integrative nutrition, healthcare equity, childhood mental health, and intergenerational resilience. She serves on professional and policy advisory boards of Let's Integrate, Aspire, and Whole Health ED, and is a member of Integrative Medicine for the Underserved and the AAP section on Integrative Medicine. In clinical practice for 27 years, she melds her passion to provide affordable, accessible, integrative pediatric care with craftivism through her affirmative art series and her meditative music at her office in St. Louis. She has researched and public and published on the topics of nutrition, yoga, art, and resilience, and has taught mindfulness, food as medicine, and sound healing workshops to medical, diabetic, and yoga students, pediatric and psy- psychiatric <laughs> psychiatry residents, physicians, and Montessori educators. I'm sorry, y'all. Some of these words I don't really say too often, and so I'm reading them, and I'm like, phew, okay, baby. So. Having found balance through the healing arts after professional and personal burnout, Dr. French offers integrative resources she hopes will be helpful through her website and her Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram pages. Her choice of meditation is walking her backyard labyrinth, being a mindful partner to her beloved, and a mindful parent to her two precious daughters and her sweet dog. So with all of that, let's get into the episode. All right. Welcome back, everybody. I am so excited today. I have, um, I just shared this with her before we pressed record, but this interview is something that I've had on my mind since we created the podcast. Um, Dr. An- we have Dr. Anu French here with us today. She is a true Renaissance woman in my mind. She is not only an integrative pediatrician, she's also a mu- musician, an artist, an author, a poet. She is a proliferation of creativity. And I have, um, gotten a lot by just following her online. Honestly, I've had the privilege of working with her. Just being in her universe has really nourished me. Being around her energy has always been such um, a comfort and an uplifting thing for me. So her story, when I think of someone who's curiously guided, I always think of Anu. Her story is one that's been driven by 
being bold enough to follow your curiosity and then not really knowing where that would lead, but just kind of trusting and then seeing it turn into really amazing, awesome things that have really nourished her and the community that she surrounds herself with. So Anu, thanks for joining us today. We're so happy to have you here. Thank you so much for having me on. And I, I absolutely love the name of this podcast. I and mean, when I heard Curiously Guided, I thought, wow, that's just, that's just perfect. Because I think that's what we all need to be every day, really every moment. Uh, if we're, it's one thing about being guided, but I think being curiously guided puts a whole nother spin on it. So I love the name of it. And thank you so much for inviting me on. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, so if you don't mind, we usually like to start with the origin story, if you will. Do you mind taking us back into time, you know, um, as much as you want to share your story of getting into medicine? I know you hit a, a point of burnout and that really pivoted your medical career. Do you mind just taking us through like that process and kind of how we got here today? Sure, I'd be happy to. And I I love the the healing um energy of an of a narration like narrative medicine you know I think that's one thing that's become so important to me is giving space for people to tell their stories in the mm -hmm. office mm -hmm. it's much more than a history or a her story you know it's, it's just it's more about people really having you know just a safe space to tell you what happened and and just that process of sharing is it's, it's tremendously healing so again I'm, I'm very grateful for this opportunity to tell you my story because um, every time I tell it, I feel like there's another whole level of healing that happens for me personally. So I'm always grateful for that. And I mean, I think if I go back to my my childhood was just I was all over the place. My father traveled a lot for his own education as a plastic surgeon. And so I was transplanted from continent to continent, school to school. And just it was kind of chaotic. Um and I was very inspired by my father. He was a, a immensely talented plastic surgeon. I wasn't very interested in doing medicine, honestly, at that point. I wanted to be a journalist. <laughs> I wanted to be, um, I wanted to tour the world and tell people stories. And my father was like, no, that's not for a woman. And that was the end of that conversation. And, you know, I can't even imagine saying that to my girls today, but but that's the way it was. And, and so I ended up, you know, doing medicine, which is what you, are, you do. And um, then I came to the United States. And uh, became a pediatrician, trained here to be a pediatrician. Um, and I really enjoy it and enjoyed it. And and I, you know, I didn't have any regrets at that point of, of being a, a doctor. But then I got kind of into this, what I call the revolving door of medicine, you know, just treating symptoms and um, just didn't seem like there was any heart or soul or spirit in what I was offering. It seemed very all in my head. And also, you know, I think I had come from a background where the the, the mind-body-spirit connection growing up with, um, you know, Eastern medicine, you know, uh, that was very much part of my life. And then I had put it all aside. I had come to the United States, the mecca of evidence-based medicine, and that kind of, that was my thing. And so kind of went all the way to the other extreme, you know, of, of only doing things and just rejecting anything that didn't have, you know, enough science so to speak behind it and then burned out <laughs> so you know just was kind of bored and sick and tired and just in a lot of toxic situations in my personal and professional life I had two little girls at that time who were also sick all the time and I was just looking for other ways to 
to do things and I was personally going through a divorce and my own health was in was in terrible shape and stumbled on this fellowship in integrative medicine you know through the Andrew Wild Center and it came to my spam folder so that tells I you I thought it was like kind of just a silly email right that you <laughs> yeah yeah I, was all, I kind of almost deleted and I'm like what is this and oh it's for MD Ooh. and at that time I'm like I'm gonna do this spend my own money I'm just gonna do it I didn't think that this was going to be a career you know I was just thinking I need some way to heal myself my children some other fresh perspective and at the same time I was also you know kind of you know figuring out how to rebuild myself you know because I had really hit rock bottom personally um and you know at the end of a 20-year marriage um two little girls again you know and just a part of an Indian community and a family that didn't support my decision to get divorced um, and I lost a lot of, I guess, and now I put them in air quotes, but friends and community and people who I, my, the construct that was so, I mean, I'd become so part of was just had completely rejected me. And so, you know, it was, it was awful and painful and terrible at the time, but my goodness, what an amazing opportunity it was for me to sort of, sort of rise from the ashes, <laughs> literally, and just rebuild and so all of that was happening at the same time as that perfect storm and when you were talking about taking leaps of faith right curiously guided which is jumping off these cliffs you know with no idea are you going to land are you going to crash uh, you know are you going to take off no idea so so that was all happening and that's the time I was painting and creating music I was actually doing all this stuff with my kids I was creating music for them you know, to help them understand their heritage and 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 bring it to a to a space that they understand. I was painting and doing art projects with them, affirmative art for all of us, and and then I was also doing the fellowship. You know, and so just it's sort of again this concept of integration, integrative medicine, all came together so beautifully for me, and it was all so organic and nothing was planned. And I just finished that, and then I just started to heal on a on a really deep level. And, and find a sense of alignment within myself, like a real harmony of mind, body, spirit, and rebuilding, rewiring, heart, brain, everything, um, and reconnecting with my children because I reconnected with myself and all of that was happening at the same time. And then reconnecting with my patients because I was rebuilding myself as what I was offering, right? So just it was just that sort of like that was sort of the progress. And so in those few years after the fellowship, everything sort of came together. And um, sort of several of these huge, full, you know, full circle moments, um, professionally and personally. And you know, in the last ten years, I think you know, I've just it just kind of built on that. You know, it's just gotten stronger and stronger. Um, and I think the most important thing for me as a mother, as a doctor, and also as an advocate for equitable, accessible, affordable, you know, decolonized pediatric medicine is basically building resilience you know how do we bounce back right because we're always going to fall off the wagon or you know fall down and you know and and face stress so so that's become you know a huge part of what I do and so um again and also making sure that there isn't a there's definitely some alignment in my personal life with my professional life because you know people can smell and see hypocrisy a mile away so you know if you're if you're not really believing and practicing, you know, what you're preaching, I think that it, it doesn't have that much value. So that's sort of it. Sorry, it's kind of long winded, but that's it. <laughs> sort of trying to sort of summarize it. Yeah. So. 
don't apologize. I could literally listen to you talk forever. I was like, do I even want to like come in here and ask a question or just have her like continue with her story? Because like you speak in a way that just like captures attention and it's really nice to listen to. So like you said, um, even before we hopped on, but like how important stories are and like you can tell just by the way that you tell a story that like deeply you resonate with the art of storytelling. So I just I want to thank you for that. But also thanks for being transparent in terms of the story, because I think that it's a breath of fresh air and it takes some pressure off when we hear about a doctor in the medical system that like they went to school for health and for body and for like all of this all of this stuff that's supposed to help us heal. And they were even having problems figuring it out because like, I know a lot of people that are like having issues trying to navigate different, different health issues. And it's just, it's nice to hear that. It's like, not just us. You know what I mean? It's the system. It's the system that's set up and that's, that's training people. Like it starts even deeper than just us. And I, I feel like it makes it less personal like it's not something that I did personally that can't figure this out it's so much deeper than that and what I hear from your story is just like when you can't like quote unquote like figure it out it's about the courage to go deeper it's the courage to take it another level deeper because I feel like a lot of us it's like we get into these moments where we're not curious like I did where we're like hitting a wall and then it's like we're getting frustrated and then it's like but can we have the courage to keep going deeper and to keep moving forward? Because like, what if you didn't open that spam email? I'm sure that the universe would have like sent you 17 other signs because they were like, yo girl, you need to go down this path. But I think it's just like, I, I don't really have any questions at this moment, but I just wanted to say thank you for the transparency. And like, I'm just, I'm captivated here. I'm going to send it over to Shay. Well, let's pick up the story. Cause I think you're being a little humble about like I think it's so brave of you to go into the integrative medicine and it, correct me if I'm wrong here, but now your practice is an integrative practice within the traditional system that we accept insurance. You're at a major hospital. So you've been able to take this, what I think a lot of people think of as like, I don't know what the right word is, but alternative medicine or a new way to do medicine. And you've brought it into the system, which I think is incredible. Like how many people actually are able to do that? Yeah, I think, and again, and people, you know, right now I'm mentoring pediatricians um, who are doing the fellowship training at Andrew, the Andrew Royal Center, which has been such a, an honor that they asked me to do that. And I wish I'd had that 10 years ago, you know, when I graduated and I was just like, oh, I got all this information. What do I do with it? It's nice to be able to sit in community with these really bright, brilliant, motivated pediatricians who want to learn how to apply it. So it's been an, or, so again, it's just this flow of a journey that you know kind of has brought me to this point but I do Mariah I do I do I think I I like this thing in the world of resilience we talk about really reframing instead of saying what's wrong with you we say what happened to you you know mm -hmm. and that's from Dr. Nadine Burke Harris who really is the pediatrician who really jump-started this whole thing about adverse child events and res building resilience and the whole trauma-informed approach that we we try to put to bring into our practices as pediatricians but but, you know, understanding the difference between, you know, the structural failings, you know, of system, you know, and making sure that we're not taking that on, you know, and then also recognizing where personally we can work on ourselves, you know, so there's, there's but, but understanding that there, you know, there's, these are healthy boundaries that 
and we have to say, you know, well, no, that is not because of me. You know, that is what happened to me because of something outside of me. Um, and I can recover from it, but I don't have to take it on. So I think that's kind of really an important piece of the resilience building. Um, yeah, the practice, you know, again, you know, I've been with Cardinal, uh, Cardinal Glennon Children's Hospital now. Gosh, I'm, I'm approaching my, I think my 25th year with them, but been in practice close to 30, almost close to 30 years. And so, um, you know, I think I've grown with them, you know, and they've grown with me and, and being in the practice this long, you know, and slowly bringing it in after I finished the the training, uh, I was sort of left with the huge amounts of knowledge um, and huge amounts of questions of like I wanting to learn more um, and also um, really starting to understand that I'm really interested in ch childhood mental health, childhood nutrition, so kind of fine tuning the areas where I went on and got more training, you know, more fellowship training in those areas and nutritional psychiatry, integrative psychiatry, you know, food is medicine, you know, and, and, um, and chronic complex, chronic, you know, kind of ill children who come in with these, this, all these symptoms. And, you know, you, they're just, the families have been medically gaslit, you know, for years by the, by, again, by the structure, by the, by the system. Um, and, you know, start, starting to create safe spaces, you know, for people to just unwind and start trusting again first and uh, telling their story and then moving into kind of the motivational piece of how do we create plans and, and treatment um, journeys, healing journeys where everybody's, you know, invested and everybody's doing it together as a more, instead of more of a directive approach that we were talking about before. And um, yes, and the, and the office, you know, it kind of evolved, like I finished my that fellowship training 10 years ago, and then had this vision for an office, but, just, you know, again, you, 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 you sow the seeds, you know, and then the right people came into the right positions at the right time that were able to really, you know, keep get that vision, you know, actually manifested. And so in 2019, we opened Cardinal Glennon Children's Hospital, opened this office that is just pediatric integrative medicine. And again, it's sort of a work in progress, right? Yeah. So I again, the, I keep coming back to your curiously guide. It's going to become my mantra, <laughs> you know, just kind of like, because, you know, even now I'm like ready for the next like five-year plan. Like I feel like, because we're, we're approaching five years in this office and it, was, it took me five years to open the office. And it's, and this five years of being in the office has been crazy with COVID hitting, right? Yeah. Moving 2019 and 2020, like the world stopped and so many things that we wanted to do sort of got put on hold a little bit. So, so we, I'm, I'm, I'm always kind of envisioning the next five years. What do I want to do? You know, so just always growing the, 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 what we offer, but we basically are offering you know, a whole child approach, which is what integrative medicine is, you know, we look at the whole child, but we also look at the, the how the child sits within the triad of the, the, the caregiver, the, the practitioner, the clinical practitioner and the child, that, that healing triad, and then the ripple effect to the family and the community, because how the environment affects everything, all the healing, which includes sleep and screen time, and exercise and nature and nutrition and 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 moving you know the mind body mindfulness part of it's so all of those things kind of bringing those into the plan and so that we don't have a knee-jerk response to a symptom we're always looking for the root cause and we're always trying to work on that right so but we don't forsake 
traditional medicines. That's what I think is really important because anything that's evidence-based and required, we're going to do. So if you need an antibiotic, you need an antibiotic, but we're also going to make sure we protect your gut. We're going to do probiotics. And then we're also going to see, okay, why did you get this infection in the first place? What can we do to the, the whole body, um, to the, the family unit, um, to the, you know, the community unit? And how can we you know, build uh, you know, resilience and, and, and work on the preventive part of it also at the same time. So I think that's a really important piece because we're different from other holistic practices, which sometimes, um, you know, recommend against vaccines or against medications and things like that. And that is definitely not what we do. We're, we're pro um, allopathic practices, um, but we're also cognizant of the fact that allopathy can only take you so far. I and mean, it's great for acute care. Right. I mean, if you have a heart attack or a broken bone or cancer, like you need an allopathic physician who's well-trained and you need that person who's really, you know, understands what they're doing. But from the preventive standpoint, I think there's a little bit of, of a lacking in, um, and also for complex chronically ill people, I think they sort of, you hit a wall. And so uh, that's, yeah, that, and we're trying, I, I like staying within a hospital system because effecting change from within is really important. And it can be frustrating sometimes, obviously, because again, it's like you're working against, um, you're working within a system that's used to doing things a certain way. And so making those small changes, but I think it's been, we've been, we've been really um, lucky in the sense that um, what we offer is in great demand. And uh, I would say that most children who come through our office do heal and get better. And just to word of mouth, we're just, yeah, we're just crazy busy. And it's hard to, um, you know, I've, I've cut back. I only work three days a week because it's a marathon, <laughs> not sprint. And, you know, then the, again, these concepts of self-care, which, you know, are in, you know, intrinsic to what we teach, have to be applied to us also as, as practitioners and also as the staff also. So, so yeah, so yeah, we're we're really it's really exciting what we do. It's this melting pot of so many different um, practices and trainings and teachings and workshops and everything that I've learned <clears throat> that comes into what we offer. That's the juice right there, baby. That's good <laughs> shit. Yeah. Like, thank you for creating something because I. I agree with you. I don't think it's like one way or another. I think there's like, there's magic in all of it, truly. And like, I really like what you said in terms of like, uh, a little bit further back, but like, reframing the question of what's wrong with you to what happened to you. I feel like that's a perspective shift all on its own. And like the podcast can end right there because like, that's fucking <laughs> like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. so, and then also how you were saying that like when your patients come in and the families come in, it's like, and and we give them space to, you know, say things. And like, I wrote down like that's revolutionary and it's sad that it's revolutionary, that it's not a normal practice for us to go into a doctor's office and for them to be like, hey, let's start unpacking this stuff and like digging a little bit deeper and coming at like, I have never had a doctor prescribe me nature or even ask a question about that or just like beyond what's your diet. And then when I say two sentences about it, they don't ask any deeper questions They're like, oh, sounds good. Sounds like she knows what she's doing. But it's like, I was never taught how to eat properly. I have no idea how this body of mine works. You know what I mean? So 
what you're doing is really, really, really cool and obviously really needed. Like the proof is in the pudding. The people are coming. You got a wait list, that type of thing. But my question is, because as adults, it's difficult. I think like when we've been trained or programmed to think what is health and what is healing, we think of like how it's supposed to look and how it's supposed to look is I take a medication for a period of time or I go to the gym five days a week. And if I don't go to the gym five days a week, of course, I can't lose weight. And like those are the only two things that we really talk about. And so I find it's like when you even suggest something like what if you went for a walk outside? People are like, how in heaven's earth is that going to help me like this is not connected absolutely not you're telling me mumbo jumbo so when we've been conditioned to think that health and healing is one way and then your approach brings in all of this other stuff that completely shifts and expands the perspective of what people are thinking how do the adults react because the kids i feel like kids are kids are more pliable my nieces if i was like hey yo drinking this green smoothie is going to make you like a killer rock star they'd be like i love green smoothies like what's up way easier but like how do the adults react Sure. It's such a good point, right? Because I think that's one of the lovely things about pediatrics is because children are so receptive and, you know, they're in that magic space all the time. You know, that's what makes it so fun to go to work because there's a certain, you know, they drag you into that space of make-believe and magic and, and, and hope, really, for lack of a better word. Um, yeah. And, and and being a pediatrician, I think it, you're you're trained very early on to understand that the the caregiver, you know, building um, transgenerational intergenerational resilience is is really important. It's just it's you can't just focus on the child, and and you are going to face these challenges of 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 sort of conditioned beliefs, one, and also. Um, you know, just sort of, you know, we have to take people from resistance to ambivalence to motivation, right? If, if people are resisting what you're offering because they believe that what they, the way they've been doing it is the right way, or they aren't in a position. And I think it's really important for me to just, you know, give a shout out to all the doctors out there who are really struggling in these systems that don't give you the time or the resources to listen to people's stories, right? You know, like, you know, yeah, because, because they're on yeah, it. Yeah, sure. it's like, it's assembly line medicine, which, you know, it's just, it is getting worse in some sense of the word, because, you know, we're just, everything, reimbursements are being cut back and, and everything is being sort of very much, you know, you're given this much time and that's it. And it's all like, you know, um, you know, productivity based and things like that. And then, so, you know, I think everybody's trying their best um, to, to do the best they can with what, with the resources, but that's where we have to get, we have to have changes structurally. Right. You know? And so I, I think the, the most important thing I find is the, the concept of motivationally interviewing a family. Right. So when a family comes in, you know, I have like, I'm a blank slate when I walk in, I have no agenda. You know, I've reviewed everything and I've looked at all the information they've sent me, but I, when I walk in, literally have no idea what I'm going to do for the family because I want it to be guided. And again, I'm going to, I'm going to keep saying curiously guided, but I, I'm going to like really sit there and listen to what they think is going to be the best next step. And we, it really literally is baby steps. And so when you do it in that way, it really does remove a lot of the resistance. 
um, that they might be coming in with. They're also a lot of the distrust and a lot of the, you know, kind of the anger and frustration they have with whatever they've been through until they come to our door. So, so I think that's the motivational piece of it where we really start um, bringing in their viewpoint of what they think is going to be best for their family and their child. It, that's what really start, lays the foundation and then we build from there. Plus we also look at, you know, the socioeconomic status, the cultural background, um, you know, the um, resources that this family that might be tremendously stressed is going to. So all of that goes into what we do for the next step. And I'm very upfront with families that this is a journey and this is the first step and it's baby steps and it's going to take tiny, tiny little changes, but over time, that's going to be hugely impactful. And then I, I say this all the time, like, you know, Shake helped me come up with healthier communities through healthier kids, you know, such a wonderful, um, you know, motto for a new wellness, you know, which is sort of like the online community that I have. But, you know, and, and I, because I truly believe that the ripple effect is infinite. You know, if you start making a change in the child who is receptive, who is a lot more kind of pliable, for lack of a better word, um, and who, and they start seeing that the child is healing and feeling better and 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 just, you know, mind, body, spirit balance, then the parents are like, oh, I'm going to do a little bit of this. I'm, you know, they come back and say, well, I did that and I'm sleeping better. Or, you know, I told my sister about this or I told my friend at church or I told my friend at work or, you know, and so you can, that ripple effect of literally, like I can just see it, you know, when you throw the pebble in the water and the ripples, like I can see that, that, that the same thing happening again and again and again within families and the children become you know, advocates for their diseases. That's just really magical to see that happen where they start talking to their friends or their school or whatever it is, or their youth groups and things like that. So, so that's where I think um, it's, it's not easy all the time, but it, it's definitely possible to have that, 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 that little, that shift, energetic shift in within the, the child and then the family unit, and then it becomes much easier for them. And then I'm constantly aware of my own, you know, innate biases and implicit biases. And, you know, they talk about the placebo effect and the teleceibo effect. So the placebo effect is your innate ability to heal. And you really believe that something's going to work. It's 40%, which is better than some medicines. And then the teleceibo effect is the healing presence of the practitioner in that space. And that's also really important because if I offer something from a place of, alignment myself and presence and I'm really listening and I'm leaning in and I'm really care caring and I also genuinely believe that what I'm offering is going to work that's another huge part of the healing process so I think that all that comes in wow there's one thing I'd like for you to touch on um you brought up the idea of decolonizing medicine earlier but I remember when we worked together that was something you know I'm a white woman right as a white woman we I don't have awareness around this and I was really struck when you were talking to me about um, people that aren't from a Western background have all different perspectives and thoughts and approaches to medicine. And there's a lack of trust in our system. They don't want to go into our system, you know? And so would you mind sharing a bit about like, I think that point you just made, like that trust is so key and that belief is so key and that trust in your practitioner. Can you talk a little bit about how your work has working to decolonize medicine a bit? 
Yeah, and I, I have to give full credit to a, a wonderful organization called I Am For Us, that's Integrated Medicine for the Underserved. And that's where I really learned even about this concept, right? Because I think I had this personal experience of being a woman of color and being an immigrant, and also all the structural um, racism that is built into medicine in the United States and all the patriarchy and misogyny and all of that that you face in medical training and residency as a woman um, and as a person of color. And, you know, again, not being completely aware of it at the time when I was going through it, but then being part of Integrative Medicine for the Underserved and their, their whole goal is to, to really create equitable, decolonize. And so, uh, yes, I, I think in my when I when I show up in the office, I think I'm keenly aware of of trying to be culturally competent, you know, and um, understanding that communities of color feel a lot more comfortable with me just because I am a person of color, mm -hmm. um, just for that one reason. But also understanding that just because I'm a person of color, it doesn't automatically make me culturally competent. Like I've still got to do my work um, and understand that I have, you know, biases that have been taught to me and based on being, uh, being Indian, <laughs> uh, you know, come from a community from a country where colorism is very, very rampant, you know, and so, so just some of these things that um, my own education and then being part of that bigger system, you know, organization where I met so many people that are doing so much work in this area. And I think some of the simple things in my office are you know, if you have somebody with a name that you can't pronounce, you ask, how do I pronounce your name? You know, what's, how would you like me? What would you like me to call you? You know, something like that, instead of saying, oh, I can't pronounce it. Because, you know, you know, that, those sort of things that are common, white people do quite commonly where right. they're, they're uncomfortable and they make it a joke or they make it, you know, sort of, they think they're making it lighthearted. So we're trying to teach you know, that sort of cultural competence, just that's the first step, right, you know, and then understanding that um, different cultures have different ways of, of believing in the healing journey, you know, curing something isn't necessarily the goal, it's, you know, what's for one's highest good, so understanding that, also understanding how important family members' opinions are sometimes within culture, certain communities, understanding that there are certain traditional ways of doing things like I remember when I was postpartum you know my mom was cooking certain meals for me with certain spices to help me heal and to help me you know make more breast milk and also to, to prevent postpartum depression and you know how, understanding that these have come through generations of people way before modern medicine and that's true of, of Latina communities and African-American communities and, and, and recognizing that you know, historically, uh, communities of color have been, have been missed, you know, they've been, you know, kind of research has been done on them without consent, they've been treated very poorly. Um, and and this continues, you know, even recently, the American Academy of Pediatrics came out with a wonderful new policy, and just uh, raising awareness of racism in medicine, and how this needs to be taught, how certain things are just, you know, um, medical students today still feel that African-Americans feel less pain than white people. I mean, some of these things that are sort of being intrinsically taught in curricula that need to be, you know, these some of these biases that need to be removed and, and how 
poorly up, you know, even now our, our you know, maternal mortality and infant mortality for African-American communities is one of the highest in the world, which is disgraceful. And it's again, because of, so some of those things, I think just being, first of all, awareness. And then secondly, when we come into our offices, understanding that when somebody approaches us um, and they're seeking to build a trust and relationship that we have to do our work and we have to, consciously intentionally create spaces that are safe uh, for people to speak up and also spaces that are culturally sensitive and trauma-informed so yes and, and I would again give a shout out to I am for us um, because they have so much that they're doing uh, I, I was part of their policy committee at one point and I was very lucky to go with them to cap to be on Capitol Hill in 2018 there was an integrated integrated medicine caucus and I was actually, you know, actually privy to how these things work, where we testified to to have the CMS cover um, uh, things like acupuncture and chiropractic care and massage, and trying to work towards a more of that. But but just they they reopened really my eyes to how you know how I could practice in a in a better way, you know, and 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 also just recognize my own biases, which I think a lot of us as physicians and, and clinical practitioners need to to be aware of at all times. So well like you said, the awareness is the first step, right? So that's huge. And then being able to provide a place where people can feel safe to speak openly and honestly um, that's gigantic, but I want to pivot the conversation slightly. I, one thing that I've always wanted to ask you when we're here a big buzzword these days is inner child healing and how important it is to connect with your inner child and how healing comes through connecting with that inner child. And I'll be honest, I roll my eyes a lot of times because I'm like, oh, this is, throw that around everywhere. But you, you know, I think you, I would love to hear your opinion about this more than anyone because you're surrounded by children all day. I think your healing journey stemmed from you connecting to what your childhood interests were and you connecting with your children at the time. So would you mind sharing with us about like, what is your, what are your thoughts around inner child healing? What does that mean? And what does it look like for you? Yeah. I, I always think about this um, cartoon comic and I can share it with you guys if I can find it of this ogre, you know, um, you know, it's just, just, uh, you know, this woman was saying, oh, I want to take care of you and your inner child. And he said, I already did. And you can see the child inside the ogre, like the ogre ate his own inner child. And <laughs> it was so funny, like complete disrespect for that whole line of like, you know, kind of, I guess, uh, you know, psychology and, and all of that. And, and, you know, I also want to say, disclaimer, I'm not a psychologist or psychiatrist, you know, I'm not, a I'm trained in integrative psychiatry, but I'm not a psychiatrist or I'm not a psychologist or therapist or anything. So I don't have any background, but I can, I'm going to talk from my personal journey. I mean, my understanding, I, I think that, you know, for me personally, like I think about certain traumatic events that happened to me at certain stages of my childhood. And I think what what I understand is that you you sort of get arrested at that time. You know, you, that it's such an event that that for me, it's my four year old. I always think about the four year old little Anu in me when when that was the time when things something, you know, whatever it was. But and then I think, OK, so that little child didn't necessarily get affirmed and seen and heard um, and was not given space, you know, so so she still exists inside me. And, and there are certain things that bring her up, you know, certain triggers in, in my environment. And then it's my role as the adult Anu to step in front and take care of her. And so sometimes I just view her as my third daughter 
most, you know, because I have my two daughters and then I have little Anu who also still needs to be taken care of, but in a way that's not shaming or belittling. Like it's just, it's not like something's wrong with me. It's just that there's a piece of me that, and that's a piece of me that I nourish through music and art and, and, and just being a pediatrician because I can just dress in these colorful, crazy, like, you know, we wear like these giant, you know, Halloween earrings and, you know, we all dressed up as princesses, you know, and superheroes for, for Halloween days and there was Jasmine. And I loved it, you know, like just, you know, showing up as Jasmine and walking into the room and seeing the joy, you know, and, all, and everybody say, oh, my God, Dr. French, is that you? Yep, that's me. You know, I had met these two families for the first time. I'm like, yes, it's really me. Hello, I'm Jasmine, but I'm also Dr. French because <laughs> they'd never seen me before ever, you know, and I'm like, no, really. And, you know, I'm taking you, just showing them that it's really me under all the makeup and the wig and everything. But but I just think like, you know, um, being able to know that there, you know, when, when a child comes into the office, you know, we always focus first on what's okay. Like, what, what, what are the strengths of this child? What's going well in your world? You know, I think affirming uh, the child's experience, because that, I think, is part of the inner child healing, you know, is many of us, I suspect, have our sort of this inner child that's still hurting because we weren't affirmed or seen or heard or are allowed to have big feelings when we were little. And so when we have, and then our, our kind of our society shames that and, and, and it kind of, you know, criticizes that, especially women, right? And so uh, for me, I, I personally did connect with my inner child after I had children. And I also connected very deeply with them through art and music. Because again, there was sort of these opportunities to, you know, it's sort of cliche to say color outside the lines, but literally that's what we were doing you know, with all the messy art that we do. And, and my art is very, has a strong childlike quality to it, you know, and I'm not a traditionally trained artist or anything, but I have done a lot of work around art as a therapeutic modality because of the healing that I've received from it. And and my children, and 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 you know, even today, um, my 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 boyfriend and I, we have like we do this date night once a week, and we're gonna do some neurographic art tonight, which is a whole new area that I love, that really rewire, literally rewires your brain as you're doing it. It's incredibly wonderful stuff. But but I'm just saying, like, it's really a part of my life on a day to day basis, and so. I do feel that, um, and last year we did that whole, I mean, with Generation Mindful, which I've given another shout out for a wonderful local company in St. Louis that is doing amazing work to, to raise socially, emotionally resilient children and families. And last year they still got it on their website. They did a whole reparenting workshop where, you know, we, as a parent, you have to reparent that child in you that did not get parented before you can actually parent your own kids effectively and it's all I think I've seen that in my own life with my daughters for sure because I, I just feel like they that their ability to mirror back to me parts of myself has been hugely helpful in me understanding facets of me that just needed more parenting and then not really looking to myself to do that work and then then you just feel so it's that there, there isn't any resentment or, or frustration anymore with anybody outside of you because you can just find it within you and then I want to raise two resilient daughters you know I, I always joke with them as long as they're not going to therapy for what I'm going to therapy for we're all good you know we're good you know so that's my joke that's the standard line in our home but you know just kind of not putting my stuff 
my shit on them really like and breaking those intergen you know, kind of the epigenetic burdens you know i say i'm um, we're chain breakers and change makers like we have to do that for our kids um so that they grow up i want them to always feel like they were heard and seen and had space and that they're so that they don't grow up with this inner child that didn't get what they needed you know so that's really important piece for me and then also with my patients too just wanting them to know that they're seen and heard um and affirmed in the office and that we're always looking at them as whole kids and not just as their ear infection or their celiac disease or their diet you know not identifying them by their diseases and just constantly work on that when we when we meet families so that we're not re-traumatizing yeah absolutely interrupting this podcast episode really quick so we just wanted to pop in here and share with you something that we've launched that we think that you are going to love the design your dream day a lifestyle design workshop Mariah and I designed this workshop three years ago, and we've held it live several times since then. Um, and we get a lot of great feedback from it. So we really wanted to package this all up and put it together in more of a evergreen form, especially now that it's the top of the year and a lot of people are thinking about goal setting. But really the point of this workshop Mariah and I are constantly bitching about goal setting, and we were really frustrated by the typical way that we had been taught to set goals. And, you know, we're working with people that are constantly feeling stuck and needing a pivot, but lacking clarity. So we kind of went to the drawing board, you know, what would it look like for us to set goals in a more intuitive, creative way, um, but a way that's also kind of grounded in neuroscience and how the brain works. So we did a bit of research, kind of tested some things and brought in some of our favorite practices that have been helpful for us in setting goals and intentions for the year or the season, whatever you're at right now. Um, the, the workshop starts with a bit of um, a, a hypnosis or a guided visualization. It's a really awesome time to tap into your more creative, childlike play side and, and let yourself dream big. And then we kind of start a little broad and work our way um, a bit more towards groundedness, a bit more into the tangible. And so we really start with a big vision and then whittle it down into the actual steps that you can take starting today or tomorrow to actually get there. So it's intended to be um, a bit of a high level look, but also down in the weeds on the ground, what day-to-day -day steps you can take to actually get towards your vision. And the, the big message of the workshop, it's not really about the outcomes, right? It's more about shifting into a new identity. Who is this future version of you? Who are you? Who, what do they prioritize? What are they devoted to? What do they want to spend their time on? And then how can we kind of reverse engineer that to let that influence um, our lives and our typical day to day? Yeah. And honestly, like my favorite part about this workshop truly is the fact that like we start with the inner vision and then we bring it into the outer action, which I think that a lot of traditional goal setting doesn't really do. You usually start with the outer action. You don't start with your inner vision. And then a lot of like meditations and visual visualizations will start with the inner vision but then they don't weave in the outer action. So that's why I really love this process that we're going to walk you through in the workshop. So you can learn more about the workshop or you can snag it over at curiouslyguided.com slash dream day. So we will put the links to that 
in the show notes, but let's take you back to the episode. Yeah, I think that's, it's so important, like inner child healing, we hear it so often now. I feel, well, I mean, people that are into like personal development, like my boyfriend probably does not hear about inner child healing all the time because he's playing stupid video games. But actually, you know what? That probably is inner child healing. He just wouldn't call it that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But I think that it's, it's common. It's common because it works but like on a logical level you're just like how could this work picking up the paints and just like making a mess and it's interesting for a while so I grew up also loving to paint and to create art and my mom would tell me that if I trace something that I wasn't being creative that's not like that's not how you create is by tracing something so in my brain growing up I was like okay, well, I have to draw things by hand because that's how you create art. And as an adult, this was like last year, I literally did not allow myself to buy a paint by numbers because in my head, I was like, that's cheating. And then I was like, I'm a grown ass adult. I'm not six years <laughs> old anymore. Like we are not like- But you were six years in that moment, right? Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. And then I was like, you know what? And I asked my boyfriend, I was like, you know what? For Christmas, I want to paint by numbers. Get me a paint by numbers thing. And I had so much fun sitting there just <laughs> allowing myself to play with these paints, but also not having to think about it and just putting the paint where the color is and just like losing myself in it. And it sounds so simple, but I think healing as humans, we try to make it more complex when it doesn't have to be complex. And like asking the question of what if healing could be simple? What if healing could be play? What if healing could be taking a walk? What if healing could be doing a paint by numbers? And then I think we combine that with this thread that I hear you say is, and I I just want to pull it out and say it, that like change starts with being heard. That's really, really powerful. Like we can't change on any level in anything if we're not being heard either by ourselves or by somebody else. So of course, if we're not being heard, resentment builds up and then we get defensive. And then of course we do. So of course we're not going to change. So I just wanted to kind of put light on that. And then the last thing is you mentioned building resilience, like helping your daughters build resilience. Uh, Can you just kind of dive into that? Like our listeners and stuff like that, can you just a, can you define what resilience is and then just give us some examples of it's like, okay, if I need to start building that, because I think a lot of us do living in this stressful ass world, how do we build up resilience to be able to evolve in the world that we live in? But how do we do it? Absolutely. Yeah. So resilience, just by definition, is the ability to bounce back from stress. So and it's not something that you're born with. It's something that you can learn. So that's really hopeful to me. Like everybody is neurobiologically resilient. We all are. We can all kind of just heal ourselves. And, you know, this became a hugely important piece for me when COVID hit, because all the stuff I was doing to build resilience was outside of the home. I was going for for massages, I was going for pedicures, I was going to the yoga studio, <laughs> you know, I was like going, work, you know, and suddenly I was like, everything screeched to a halt. I'm like, okay, how do I build resilience every day in my life, in the chaos? And I love the paint by numbers analogy because, you know, it's like mindfulness that's mindless in a way, right? 
So it's, it's a perfect example of how to build resilience because we're really trying to get out of our heads. And when you're when you're taught from a young age that when you you're only creative if you do something original, you know, or you're only creative if you do something perfectly. I mean, that's that was my upbringing, <laughs> and, you know. And so you're it's so wonderful to 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 sort of think of doing things mindlessly, you know, and actually being extremely mindful, right? So so I, I, there's some things I like I like to I just share from my own personal life. Like how do you make this like so humming in the shower. Like everybody can hum, everybody can be a sound healer because you don't have to know how to sing. Everybody can hum. The humming breath, the bee breath, it's called in, in yoga, is tremendously important. It, it raises nitric oxide, it raises oxytocin. All of these are hugely important for our healing. And it's self-soothing because it simulates your vagal nerve. And everybody at some point is taking a shower. <laughs> so... So just humming in the shower. So one thing that's that's a, that's one way to build resilience. Brushing your teeth with different brush, like hands, every day. It's in that. It's that like everybody, most people, hopefully, are brushing their teeth. So I tried doing that, and it was like a mind fuck. I was like, my brushing my teeth now takes like five minutes if I'm doing it with the other hand because yeah. it's like you can't think about anything else. It's wild. So it's truly mindful right because you have to drop into your body you can't be thinking okay what am I going to have for breakfast where am I going to go because you have to actually yeah so, so that's one thing the other thing I, I recommend is um breath work so breathing so being conscious of your breath and I love the breath book you led us through Mariah before we started that's this kind of thing dropping into your body I always talk about that we're all sitting <laughs> so just being aware of your bottom in the seat aware of your feet and your shoes on the ground it's called a body scan it takes 30 seconds drops you right back in again calms all the stress hormones in the body doing the, the the square breathing I talk about where you breathe in going up the square breathe out across the square breathe in down the square breathe again square breathing everybody anybody can do that for 15 seconds when you're feeling really stressed so these are some of the things that for building resilience um sort of on a day-to-day -day basis the other thing I talk about is you know um I like to talk about rituals of some sort so something that you're doing in your life that is grounding and sacred to you you know so i i think most like brewing a cup of tea steeping a cup of tea it sounds so simple but you know so many herbal teas are healing but just the process of making a cup of tea and then mindfully eating so i i like herbal teas and i like dark chocolate for that <laughs> that's the other thing for building resilience i like dark like dried fruit that's covered with chocolate even better so mindfully eating practices where you're sort of actually looking at what you're eating holding it smelling it seeing where it takes you because it usually takes you on a journey of some sort and then actually when you put that piece of chocolate in your mouth it it dissolves slowly and feeling it so again mindfully at some point in the day trying to have a mindful eating moment again builds huge resilience and just amazing studies for that. Um, just trying to think of other things that, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis, um, some way of, you know, getting in touch with nature. So again, it's difficult for everybody. Again, I, I'm always aware of people who live in neighborhoods that aren't safe. Like it's easy to say, oh, go out and go for a walk in your neighborhood. You know, we don't have a neighborhood that's safe, you know? So so how do we, so I think looking every morning, if there's some way that you could look at the 
the, the eastern sky. I mean, again, the problem with our time change and stuff like this, you, know, you don't always, you can't always look at the sunrise, but photobiomodulation, getting that sunlight into your eyes first thing in the morning resets your entire body. It resets your stress hormones. It resets the way you respond to stress. So again, things like that. So some way of getting exposed to nature, even if it's like having a window that you look out at, um, putting a bird feeder in your backyard. I talk about that, or planting a, a, a plant that attracts butterflies and bees and pollinators. So those kinds of things I think are really important. And then as families doing things together. So, you know, there's all kinds of resources and I'm happy to share stuff with you guys later if you want a list of things. And, you know, because obviously the time is limited, but, you know, some of these things of intergenerational resilience, doing things together. So messy artwork together, something. It doesn't have to be perfect art doing it together as a family, doing yoga together as a family, or even mindful movement. One thing I love to talk about is the walking meditation as a family. Everybody gets a turn to lead the family and you just walk and you can go, the person leading the, the family can go anywhere. So you can go up on top of bunk beds, underneath dining tables, go out into the backyard, but you're walking quietly and it's just a few minutes, you set a timer and you have to hold a word in your head. And then you come and sit down as a family and you talk about what word you held. And I've done this for years with my kids. And it used to be things like ice cream and poop and, you know, you know, that fart and stuff like that. And then we finally evolved to a little bit more <laughs> deeper things like world peace. <laughs> and <laughs> you know what I mean? But that wasn't the point. The point was like, and then we would journal it a little bit. So, so like that, like, so I think that you, you, finding things that you can do blowing on pinwheels together oh my god it's such an amazing way you're doing breath work you're mindful it's fun you're stimulating your vagal nerve you know so there's all kinds of activities you know that you can kind of bring into but but I think becoming conscious of the fact when we, when we tie it into the fact of our reparenting ourselves our inner child you know, I always like to go through the three r's it's those so you regulate relate and then respond so I think that's really important the three r's and you know, so that is really important when you're trying to build resilience, because when you regulate, okay, you're working on your own resilience first, then you're relating, your, your person is feeling heard and seen and affirmed because you're relating to where they are, and then you're responding appropriately. And I, that's hugely important for the work I do in my office. When I walk into a room, that's the first thing I'm trying to do is I'm going to regulate. And the way I do that is I wash my hands. And that is a mindful practice for me. So it's one minute of washing my hands, being completely aware of the whole process, clearing my mind from the previous and taking some breaths. And so that's so I'm that's my regulation. And then I'm relating, which is the whole process. And then I'm coming up with the plan, which is kind of the last thing on the list. Instead of walking into the room saying, okay, this person has an ear infection, I'm going to prescribe an antibiotic, you know, instead of doing that, just going in. So I think that's that's really important, I think. And those those are some of the simple ways that you can just, and even if you do one thing, you just start with one thing. It's incredible the shift that happens in your ability to to just pause and respond to what's happening in your lives, you know? That clearing practice is so powerful. I'm excited to start using that throughout my work day. Um, well, I do want to talk about what we were excited about. You know, one thing I've enjoyed about following along with you is that you're constantly, you mentioned it earlier, you're exploring your own curiosities. You know, you mentioned you and your partner are going to do this new type of painting that's all about rewiring your brain. And you're always bringing in the science with the healing. And I love that. And so one thing 
I was telling Mariah, Mariah has been very interested in sound healing recently. She's mm-hmm. been turned on to it. I was telling her about you. I had never very much, I never really experienced sound healing until I listened to the CD that you shared with me, your CD. It was nuts, Anu. Like my whole body, I had never felt that just from sound in immediately. And so where Mariah and I are like, there's something magic about sound and we're both getting a lot of comfort and calm and resilience building through different sound practices, but we don't really know much more than that. Would you mind sharing a bit about like what you've done in your research around sound? Sure. Um, I think it's important. I mean, I genuinely believe that we're all sonic beings, like we're all vibrational beings as humans, you know? And so we're we're, we all have our own harmony and we have our own vibration and we're all at a certain frequency. And, you know, and to me, disease, dis-ease is when we're out of, we're out of tune with ourselves, basically just, and so <clears throat> any form of sound healing, any form of sonic medicine, you know, and you, each one of us really has to find our own because, you know, I don't always respond to certain kinds of sound healing like you know so you can't just say oh go go for that go for tibetan bowls and gongs and you go then you're like oh my god this is making me feel worse you know so i, I just think, had that experience recently yeah yeah, yeah. and because you have to so you have to be careful what you recommend but just for people to understand that there is this the, the field of chimatics which is the field of the science of sound and um we we talk about entrainment, which is where you it takes a little while for your vibrational frequency to line up with the vibrational frequency of what you're taking in through your senses, whether it be tactile or auditory or visual or, or a combination of both. And so the repetitive nature is really, really important. And that can feel monotonous and tedious sometimes to people. And so that's I think that education about that piece is very important. And then the silence after you've had any kind of sound healing whether it it be words or music or vibrations or frequencies it doesn't matter or, or musical instruments or whatever is as important as the actual sound healing because that is the time really when the actual entrainment is happening is in the silence and that's when your body's actually coming into the same frequency and and into a sense of harmony. So when you're when you're experiencing these things, I think it's important to have those few minutes of silence with yourself too. And and my personal interest is is Vedic mantra, which is Sanskrit mantra, and that's what I was raised with from my grandparents and my parents. And I want to honor them and my ancestors for that, you know, that blessing. And then that's what I was trying to teach my children. And they were like, ah, we don't want to learn this stuff. This is too hard. This is boring. We don't understand. So that's when I started creating the Sanskrit chants with the English meanings. And that was kind of the fusion music that, you know, that I kind of created. And then I was doing this at my yoga class every week. And then someone said, well, you should make a CD. And then suddenly I got introduced to somebody who had a studio and then I went and recorded it all happened within like a week. It's just, you know, funny how these things happen. And then I, you know, then someone taught me how to stream it. And, you know, I'm like, I'm a doctor. What do I know about all this stuff? So like, oh my God, there's a whole world of of musicians and creatives out there that I knew nothing about. And so, so it's, you know, it's, it's been really fun, but really the 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 um you know it started because I was finding so much harmony coming into my own life from doing it and I still do and and chanting is a huge breath work it's amazing breath work for me I mean like it's very balancing and I can reach for those mantras at any time during the day and be just doing it quietly in my head you know just to 
to heal, but but bringing it into kind of the community, you know, the, uh, these two yoga studios have been asking me to teach um, mantra as part of their curricula, and I've done it for a few other uh, places online, and just helping people understand that when we hum and when we chant, what's happening is like we are really actually releasing um, like nitric oxide, which again has become so important. It's in your sinuses and it's in your throat and it's in your lungs. And this is hugely important for relaxing everything, you know, keeping everything open and and, uh, and decreasing inflammation. And then oxytocin, which you know is like the love hormone you get from hugging, but it also comes from, from chanting and also balancing the the vagal part, so the parasympathetic part of our nervous systems, which is the rest and digest piece of it. So we live most of our lives in the sympathetic overload of fright, flight, fight, freeze, you know, like, and we never ever see, even though we go to sleep, we're still like in that space, you know, we never. And so having some sort of practice where you're tuning into some sort of a sound that brings you to a place of feeling more relaxed and peaceful before you go to bed specifically, but anytime the day really helps. And so that's been a huge part. And I've been doing some some research where I've been kind of putting these electrodes on my own head and kind of seeing what happens when I chant. And it's just been fun. So, you know, I haven't really gone in too far with where I'm going to take it, but it's just been more fun for my own. Like, oh, if I chant this, what happens? If I chant that, what happens? Do I really? And then I did, we did do some you know, research in our office on the healing harp. We have a beautiful healing harpist in St. Louis, Amy Kamey, and, and she's just amazing stuff. You know, she's done so much work. Um, but we did a pilot study with her where we used her music and we studied brain waves before and after in parent-child cohorts. And we actually showed with the raw data that just listening to this healing harp moved these families from distressed kind of chaotic brain waves to calmer, more peaceful brain waves and quality of life measures improve like sleep and anxiety things like that. So, so I think that that I I'm, I'm absolutely sure that if everybody, even humming in the shower, I think let's even if we start there because sometimes it seems overwhelming, or finding music that resonates with you in a way that you feel more peaceful, calmer, grounded, um, less stressed, and 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 less foggy, you know, where you feel that you can think more clearly, where you can react. I think it's it's powerfully, a powerful tool, I think, in, and really important in um, continuing to build resilience, where we're, well, our goal is to decrease inflammation in the body, you know, and, and that way decrease chronic disease. And when sound healing is unique because it takes away these blocks you know, we have energy bodies as well as physical bodies, and we have blocks in them because we have thought processes or, or choices we make in our lives or trauma that we've, you know, experienced that wasn't really under our control. And when you do these sound healings over time, you just, you clear these blocks and you, you release some of these um, disease processes that are happening physiologically in the body. And then you, you, your energy flows freely and you can think and you can feel and you can relate and, and and respond in a much more grounded way. So I think, yeah, I, I love sound healing and I and, and it's such an important part of my own healing journey, you know, just it's and I go back to it all the time, you know, and, and it's really important. Even this morning I I went somewhere and I was listening to some Vedic chants on the way 
because I was feeling kind of stressed this morning and I thought, okay, this is what, what can I do? So I was listening to Hamilton <laughs> the last couple of days and I watched it with my kids over the Thanksgiving break. And I was like, okay, I need to stop listening to Hamilton right now because I love Hamilton, but it's not really, my heart rate is up, my blood pressure is up. I need to find, so I found something called the sacred chance. And then I, sometimes I listen to my own music, you know, it was funny. I was in a sauna once um, at somewhere and my music came on Pandora you know, my own music. And I was like, oh my God, I can't listen to this. Like I need to listen to Deepak Chopra or, you know, somebody else. And I'm like, wait a minute, no, maybe I can't listen to this. And I was trying to relax into it, but I've gotten more um, used to listening out, more comfortable listening to my own music. But but I think like that's that's the thing, you know, just finding that for me, that sacred mantra is so soothing. I immediately feel all my defenses go down and things. So So everyone has to find what works for them. Yeah. For sure. Okay, no big deal with your shit coming on Pandora. Like, no, no, no big deal. Hair flip on that one. Um, I'm fascinated by the data that you're finding. And I would love to have you back on the podcast after you've had some time to kind of like collect data and just like play with it. Like, we don't even need to know, like, scientifically, what is this? But like, just exploring that on a deeper level is something that I'm really curiously guided about. And I'm not curious to do the research myself but like if somebody wanted to put some probes on my fucking brain and like test me (laughs) like I am game I will show up anywhere but I have found sound healing to be wildly beneficial and I went to a retreat in October and one of the biggest things that I was so excited about is she was like we're gonna do a sound bath And I was like, you know, sound bath, it's like calming and relaxing. And I was so excited. I was just like, I'm running around this retreat house. And I'm literally just like, I fucking love sound baths. I fucking love sound baths. And everybody's laughing at me because it's like, it's just, it feels so good. But then I did notice at the end or like during it, she ended up using a gong and my body was like, and I was like, gong ain't it. Like gong, whatever (laughs) frequency this gong was. So when you said that, I was like, there definitely are sounds that don't resonate as deeply with me, but I have a Spotify playlist that I'll listen to. And it's really, really helpful because there's like all the different frequencies. And a lot of the time, one of my favorite places to to listen to sound healing is at the gym when I'm doing like weight training for some reason. And obviously it's like not a surprise once you understand the data behind sound healing, but like it just gets me so into my body where I feel like I can feel my muscles contracting on just a deeper level. But if I'm listening to a podcast, I'm again, so in my head that I'm like, do I even have muscles? Like, I don't even know if I'm working my muscles. Like, I don't even know. So sound healing, it's just been like incredible. And then I remember when I was working with, I don't know if it was a naturopath or I'm not sure who it was, but she was like, you need to start chanting. And I was like, absolutely not. For some reason, there's like this weird thing in our human brains that's like, no, I can't. That's silly. Like, I can't do, I can't say that. I don't want anybody to hear me. And like, I can't say this out loud. People are going to think that I'm weird. But then I found a Spotify playlist and I just listened to it until I could remember the words without having to think about them. And it like snaps me back into my body. It is wild. So if y'all are listening to this, I know I would love to put the links to your sound healing music in the show notes if you have it available. Sure. I'm happy to send that to you. And yeah, I, I and, you know, I think it's uh, that that's the reason why I sort of created the fusion music, because, um, you know, the, the English words are basically the meaning of what's being chanted. And 
Then I found these melodies in our ancient Indian Sanskrit mantra, which were very similar to some of the um, some of the melodies and hymns and other cultural, you know, songs that I've heard from other cultures and religions. And so I started finding all these kind of overlaps and said, okay, I'm just going to create all this music. And, you know, again, it's so funny how these things happen. Like it wasn't, none of the stuff that I was creating was ever intended to be put out there anywhere. Like I remember when I was painting, I was uh, of my divorce, I was devastated and I was in really bad place for a year. Like I was just in a dark place and I was just so, you know, I was, I felt like a failure, you know, like I failed. Yep. I failed my marriage. I was not happy in my work. I, you know, I was being told I was going to fail as a mother because I divorced, you know, all these messages, you know, this really awful messaging, which, you know, I don't believe any of that anymore. But at that time, and I was painting these affirmations, I am love, I am strong, I am brave, you know, I have, I am worthy. I am, you know, and I was trying to paint these things because I wanted to truly remind myself that these were true and I was doing it with my children too and I have created that little children's book from that and then I was painting all the stuff and then, and then you know one of my really good friends she ran a yoga she's like you want to sell your art and I'm like nobody's gonna buy my art she's like no why don't we try to I'm having a you know this trunk show you know just come and I was like scared like it's such a vulnerable place like very much yeah. out there and I always look at my stuff as kind of childish art like and you know it's like it's you know and and sold out all 28 pieces sold. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I could feel. And what was more interesting to me than selling it was talking to people. Like people would say, oh my God, this really, I'm going to put this on my desk room. I'm, oh, I'm going to give this to my, you know, my son, or I'm going to buy this for my, my coworker. Or, you know, there were all these stories about why. And then a lot of the art I do now is on commission. You know, um, I, I do have a red bubble store and you can buy prints and stuff on there. But, but what I really enjoy is more like the on commission. So people will say, I want this particular piece for somebody because this is their story. And then I create it based on that. That's so, so it's just, it's interesting how that, you know, again, that was another leap of faith, right? Just putting my stuff out there and, and being aware of how much I could, it could be rejected. Like nobody could have bought anything, you know, and then I would be like, okay, well, this art was meant for me, not for anybody else. But, but those moments, you know, I think of like, um, really trying to, to, yeah, I'm happy, I'm happy to share all the links, you know, with you and any way that, you know, I really put these things out with the intention of mind, body, spirit healing, you know, hoping to resonate with somebody in, so that they can bring a little brightness into their life, you know, literally with the colors, but also with the affirmations, like the affirmative piece of it is really important to me. And also in the music also, it's the healing piece of it, like using it as a tool to, to build resilience, um, because I know that those things, scientifically, we know art and music are hugely important for. Why? Um, yeah, go ahead. Sorry to cut you off. Mm -hmm. Why are the I am statements so powerful? Like, yeah, like Om Tat Sat. I think of Om Tat Sat is the Sanskrit, I am that, that I am, Om Tat Sat. So basically, you know, it's an affir affirming that this is enough. You know, I am that already, that I am already. There's no, there's no, there's nothing more needed. It's all there, you know? And so that's where it starts for me. You know, it's like, I am complete. I am whole, but I am also imperfectly incomplete. As you were saying, gl gloriously incomplete is what I like to say. I'm a glorious work in progress. You know, it's just absolute glory here, but, but just, but also understanding that, you know, you know, the facets of, of affirmation, again, it's the being heard, seen, fit, you know, understood, 
um, starts with us, like uh, within ourselves, right? So I think it with my kids, you know, it's just so important. Like when they come to me with these big feelings, it's just knowing that they they have a space to be heard. And we have this little thing in our house is like, you know, do you want me to catch the ball or do you want me to catch the ball and throw it back to you? So that's kind of our catch phrase. So if they come to me and say, okay, do you want me to catch the ball? Yeah, I just need a vent. I just need someone to hear me. I just need to bitch about this. I just need to, you need to be on my side. Um, and then or they'll say, no, I need you to throw it back. I need advice. Like I need, what do I do next? Like, what do I do with this? So I love, like that's been really helpful in our family. And the other catchphrase is like, my, my kids is like, this is not helpful right now, is what they say to me when, when I'm going off course. So like they're, they're calling me out on my bullshit and I'm so pissed and I'm so proud at the same time. Like, <laughs> okay, good, good. Like you're putting healthy boundaries with me, which means you can do it with anybody then, you know? So, right. so I think like those sort of things are like the affirmate, affirmative part of it is hugely important. Yeah. Well, Anu, I want to hold you hostage here all day, but unfortunately <laughs> we're running out of time. I was hoping that you could share with us a bit about the heart math that you shared with us before we started. Oh, with the yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I have to, again, a shout out for Sheila Pride of the Moksha Institute who did the workshop that I took. And I'm not heart math certified in any way. I just, again, like like to make sure people understand scope of, of, of practice and expertise, but I practice it every day and it's really heart-centered breathing and heart-centered intentional, um, you know, intentional meditation where we're trying to bring coherence. You know, what that means is like when you're in a stressful situation, you don't want your heart rate to, to go all over the place. You want it to have a certain, you know, less of that variability. You know, you want it to be steady state. And what happens is we, our bodies, if you're in sympathetic overload, which we talked about a little bit, is like, you know, immediately your heart rate goes up, your blood pressure goes up, your, and it's erratic, your response is erratic, your breathing, your respiration, your blood pressure, and your stress hormones are just surging through you. And you're, you're defaulting to sort of that reptilian brain, like the base brain. And so all your responses, again, could come from my, for me personally, from the four-year-old, who's completely immature, has no understanding what's going on, but is reacting, right? So instead of coming from the mature executive functioning prefrontal cortex, which is like, oh, need to think about this. I need to pause. This is not really about me. This is about somebody else, you know, that kind of a thing. So that's where heart math can be. And it, it's literally rewiring, like it's creating another pathway in between your heart and your brain so that when you're in that stressful situation, you don't immediately go into panic mode. And then you're also starting to, like, it's like in a forest. I always think about it, like, you know, there's a, there's a pathway already made and that's kind of the one we kind of go through because, oh, somebody's already walked this path before several times. But that doesn't actually mean it's the best way to get through the forest. Whereas when you're doing heart math, you're actually creating a new, whole new pathway, which is what neuroplasticity is, right? And we know now, my goodness, you know, we were taught when I went to medical school, we were taught that the brain and the spinal cord are static. You know, they just, you can't, they can't be changed. And now we know that you have a genetic blueprint, but you can completely change its expression and how you rewire and, and uh, your heart and brain based on, on choices you make, thought processes, breathing, you know, nutrition, everything. So, so heart math is one of the tools I use a lot in my, my personal life. And I also, and I'd gone, I do see an integrative cardiologist. So he does all my regular stuff, but he also looks at sort of the, the, the functional, physiological 
kind of where's my heart going, not just the structural piece of which she does that also. And he had done run this test on my autonomic nervous system. And it was so wonderful because it was like my stress response was excellent. You know, my resilience was excellent. All these things were in the green, but my ANS balance was not great, which means I still respond chaotically to my life, which, you know, with politics and 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 you know, you know, kind of teen girl kids and 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 the stress of sort of being around peg in a in a square hole or a square you know being in a hospital system and trying to practice something that's sort of against the green and all of that you know so I you could see that my my response is still erratic so I've got work to do but my ability to bounce back is was really good on the on the testing and it was like this objective data. So I was like so excited about that. And I would give heart math a huge amount of credit and, and month chanting for me, like the, the sound healing is huge. And then art, of course, like this always doing doing something in that area. So, so I think it's nice to see these measures sometimes in our lives. It just gave me so much. Again, it was affirming for me personally. Um, and it also gave me hope like, oh, good. Like some of the stuff that I'm doing, like brushing my teeth with the wrong hand and, <laughs> you know, and humming in the shower, even if it's off key and, you know, all that stuff that we're doing is actually working. It's actually helping, you know, and and then also offsetting hopefully the my my progression to chronic disease in the future, which we're trying. You know, I I don't care about getting old. I don't care about wrinkles. I don't care about gray hair. But I want to be vibrant and energetic and be able to think clearly and you know have my joints intact and you know things like that. Some of the basic stuff. I just want to age with vibrancy. Like I see all my mentors in integrative medicine, they're on the 80s and they're just, recently I did a book club with a 102 year old doctor, yeah, who just wrote her first book at 101. We had a book club through the Andrew Wild Center of Integrative Medicine for all the That's awesome. And she just sitting, she's still practicing and completely, and I'm like, that's what I want to be when I grow up. I want to be age, and she looked 102. You know, she looked 102. She did not sound her energy body was clear and amazing. So, so that's what I talk. I think these little things that we do every day can can put us on the path towards towards that. So this conversation is literally like exactly what I needed today. Anu, thank you for <laughs> thank you for showing up, for sharing your stories, for sharing your wisdom, for sharing your research, for being so transparent and like just what a wonderful source of like motivation and inspiration truly and it's funny because this morning I had a thought in the shower because I could tell that I was stressed out I could tell I'm just oh baby I'm spiraling about absolutely nothing over here and I'm in the shower and it's like I got this little this little seed kind of like dropped in and it's just like it's because you're in your head. And I got this vision of like all of us just walking around in our head because we're using our phones, right? And like, what what a blessing to be alive during this time where it's like we have access to so much information and to be able to connect, to be able to have a podcast where we can connect with people across the country and have these conversations. What a blessing. But it's like this vision of everybody just walking around on our phones. So of course, we're always in our head. And what if the healing, like we said, A, starts with being heard but like what if we just allowed ourselves to get into our bodies and like all of these examples like when you were talking about the examples i'm so grateful that you shared them because like it truly is about going back to the basics like what if you just took a walk but it's our human brains try to make all of this shit so complex like 
Building resilience, what is my five-step plan to build resilience? And what is the framework to strengthen my muscle of resilience? And it's like, bitch, go outside and go for a walk without your phone. Or just like sit and breathe. Or like, I always used to roll my eyes at tapping. I was like, tapping? This isn't helpful at all. And then intuitively, the other day, I was like, I'm going to tap. So then I started tapping. Didn't my brain for a second go, I need to look up a YouTube video on how to tap. And I was like, <laughs> no, like just follow, follow what your body is asking for. And so I would just tap in these places in my face and like, I don't know how to tap, but like, I do know how to tap. It's fucking innate wisdom to be able to do these things. And I think that the magic, like through all of your examples and all of these stories, it's really just like, how can we not make it complicated? How can we just allow ourselves to come back to the basics and like allow that to be enough? We don't have to overcomplicate it. The world is complicated. Mm -hmm. Healing can be simple. Coming back to ourselves can be simple. So I just want to thank you for being a really amazing example of all of this and sharing that like it doesn't have to be as complicated as our brains try to make it. And like you're allowed to create just to create and Sound healing can be as simple as like finding a Spotify playlist or like downloading something that you've created. Like you don't have to go and like buy sound bowls right. in order to like get all of this medicine. We don't have to buy anything. We can just sit here and use these resources that are available to us. So truly from the bottom of my heart, I just wanted to say thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. And, you know, I always, I always say the healing goes both ways. And so thank you for giving me this opportunity to share my stories. And, and I appreciate what you're doing to get the message out to the world. And I, and I, I'd love to share my resources and I have a monthly newsletter that I put out. Actually, this month is going to be just kind of a wrap up of 2023 and all the stuff that I had, you know, all the resources. And I have an integrative medicine cabinet, as Shay knows, on my website. I love that she came up with that term. So like where I have free resources for families that I've gathered that I use for my own kids and also families that come to my practice. And yeah, and, and just also just also the the the, you know, again, I feel so heard and seen and affirmed by both of you today. So I really want to say thank you for that. Because, you know, again, you know, this has been so much fun doing this podcast. Like it's just been, I just love the energy that you both bring to it. It's just really, it's very, it's very non-judgmental, you know, and safe, which I love, which just allowed me also to, to feel comfortable to just, you know, say what I, <laughs> with no filters here. <laughs> And I wow. just absolutely love the cursing on this podcast. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, there was no way we could, there was yeah. no way I literally could host a podcast without having love- the explicit button on. I'm like, I just can't help myself. I, it's how, I tell Mariah the heat the healing for me is coming through the cursing for whatever reason. But <laughs> yeah. Um... yeah, I just bought I just bought a coloring book called Fifty Shades of Bullshit. It's amazing. So like that's the kind that's okay. Yeah, I love it because that's part of my cult. The coloring books are also a huge part of my healing, but this one is really good because it's like, and there's, it's like the, I don't know, it's like the X-rated edition. So it's a really pretty bad Fifty Shades of Bullshit, but it's wonderful to color those curse words too. So yeah. <laughs> Um, Well, that's amazing. I really want to encourage our listeners. I get so much nourishment and joy from following on you. Get on the newsletter, get up, follow her Instagram. She's always exploring her curiosities and sharing them with everyone. And it's very inspiring, like Mariah said. So Anu, the last question we like to end with is what has been sparking your curiosity lately? Are there any new rabbit holes that you're going down or what's been kind of um, scratching that itch? Oh my God, where do I start? Okay. Well, I think right now, so I am a Reiki three 
a practitioner. So Reiki is a form of therapeutic touch um, and it's a form of energy healing and you have to be attuned into it. And so there's like several levels and I don't advertise that I that I'm a Reiki practitioner, like I don't do Reiki sessions or anything like that, but I do believe that we're kind of an instrument for energy. And so I've been really going more into like, how can I, how can I improve my practice in the sense that I'm actually more trauma informed and also more for grief, you know? And so like, because I feel like there's this huge communal grieving going on around the world. Um, it sort of started with the pandemic and all the losses. And now we've got these wars and there's just been so much horror and loss. And, and also just, um, you know, there's been a loss of so many human rights, you know, like just basic human rights, you know, I, I'm kind of being, you know, and I, and I am hopeful to see the younger generation rising and, and facing the challenge of our times. So, but I feel like Reiki is such a, it's, it's spiritually guided life force energy. And so it's just, if you get attuned into how to, to use that form of healing, you're not really doing anything. You're like a hose, you know? And so the water is that energy. And, and then what happens is, you know, when you water the garden, a little bit always falls on you too. So, so there's a, like that healing going both ways. So I'm really, I'm kind of going into a little bit more, I kind of lost track of that for a while and 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 recently I've been really drawn to get back into really researching that a little bit more and also just understanding how I can bring that into my practice and my own my own life for my own healing so kind of Reiki is kind of where I am. my mother my mother is a grandmaster in India and so she's the one who kind of trained me and, and and tuned me into it and so it's been really good to, to kind of get back to that yeah Wow. How cool. Your family, <laughs> like you were attuned by somebody in your family. That's yeah, awesome. My mother is amazing. She is a you know a psychologist, but she's a doctor of Ayurveda and she does all kinds of energy healing and so on in India. So she's, I always say she's the original integrative healer <laughs> and has been a huge influence in, in, in some of the choices I've made in my, you know, in my professional life. But yeah. That's, that's kind of what I've been really, when I went recently, we had a little Reiki share where Reiki practitioners come together so we can learn from each other and, and also understand a little bit more. And there's so much research behind Reiki. So, you know, at therapeutic touch and how important it is in, in, again, as an, as an alternative or a complementary modality. So that's been kind of it. That's where I've sort of been dabbling recently. So, yeah, I love that. And like, what a beautiful example. We always try to have just like conversations about people combining the inner work and the outer work and you're just like a beautiful example of that of just like combining the science with the energetics and it's like also just looking at the data but not letting the data like take over your brain like it can so easily <laughs> but like allowing the magic to still be there and like you didn't using the data as like a backup of like maybe your intuitive nudge or like what you're feeling and I think that that's really awesome so thank you so much for coming on the podcast we are going to put all of your links to your website your social media your newsletter and all of that stuff in the show notes for our listeners but i think that we're ready to close this episode down so remember friends that you have the power to create whatever the fuck you want follow the nudge ask the questions and let curiosity guide the way we'll see you in the next episode Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to this episode of the Curiously Guided Podcast. We appreciate you so much for being here. Truly, this podcast is such a joy for us to create. 
If you love the conversation or you're a fan of the podcast and you want to support us in creating new episodes, feel free to head over to curiouslyguided.com slash support to buy us a coffee. If you're not already, make sure to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite listening platform so you can stay in the loop with all of the episodes we've got coming your way. And while you're heading over to subscribe, slide over to the review section and let us know what you thought about that episode. Reviews go a long way in helping us reach more listeners. So even if it's just a quick one, it helps us all continue to grow together. We'll see you in the next episode.